What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. Okay, you know, like at camps and stuff like this, you take the ball out. You ain't getting the ball back. <laughs> like, you the last one up the court. They already did their thing. So I stopped there, and I just got into a rhythm and started hooping. The Lakers should sign Trey Young this summer. They got to kind of start preparing for, like, if LeBron's last year is this year or next year, whenever it is. And I feel like a uh, pick and roll with AD and a guy like Trey Young would be deadly. Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. AT&T connects and ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news, sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work. In traffic so slow, connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories, change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to another edition of All the Smoke. Jack, what's going on? Nothing, just feeling old, man. Just feeling old from these goddamn basketball and working out and shit. Man, it's killing me right now. Killing me. Man, let's welcome to the show, uh, man, someone I grew up watching, a uh, big fan of, defying all the odds to be able to play 14 years uh, in the NBA and really make it possible for people like Nate Robinson and uh, IT and some of the smaller players to kind of find their lane in a big man's game, man. Welcome to the show, Muggsy Bogues. What's up, fellas? Appreciate How you, man. You? How's life going? Uh, we know you got, you got your new book, Muggsy, My Life from the Kid in the Projects to the Godfather of Small Ball. How's life going for you right now? It's going well, man. I cannot complain not one bit. You know, people won't listen to it anyway. 
But yeah, I'm doing well, man. Things are going great. Um, this is my second uh, memoir that I'm putting out. My very first one was in 1994. It was called The In the Land of Giants. And that was kind of, you know, when they came to me to, 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 and when they presented to me and when I decided to do that book, um, it was mainly when my father had just passed away and my best friend, one of my best friends, Reggie Lewis, had passed away a week right afterwards. So, um, and it was kind of mainly talking about me making the NBA and that sort of stuff. But this one has a lot more substance. Um, it's a lot more uh, information in terms of, you know, some of the players that I had impacted in the league, guys like Alonzo Mourning, Larry Johnson. I got Stephen Curry doing my forwarding, uh, the impact that I had on him growing up. Um, it's a more of a passionate book as well. Um, relationships and me and my wife, you know, which is kind of unheard of. We got divorced and we was divorced for 10 years. And then all of a sudden, you know, we found ourselves back to one another. and We remarried in 2015, um, which was unheard of. So it's about, you know, relationships. It's about giving back to the community as well as uh, some of the impact that I had on um some of the players that I played with. I'm, lo I'm looking forward to, to, to reading that. Also, tell us about your doc that was released on NBA TV. Oh, the Always Believe doc, that was special, man. I always really appreciate the NBA uh, taking that time and going behind the scenes and, and giving some attention to, you know, my career. Um, of course, you know, being the smallest that ever do it and people not really believing, you know, a guy my side was capable of doing it, but, you know, and for me, you know, it was just a game. And um, and I never looked at anything different. You know, people don't realize, you know, I was a starter most of my career. It wasn't, you know, I came off the bench when I landed a part of my career, especially when I got hurt. And uh, But I had, you know, opportunity to, to put my stamp on this on this game and, and, and give some inspiration to a lot of guys who now play the game who didn't believe that they possibly, you know, could play at that level. And I'm just grateful that we was able to break down those barriers, not only just myself, the Michael Adams, the Spud Webbs, and Charlie Chris, as well as Marty Tyler, those guys. So, uh, you know, you got to get props Absolutely. for that. Uh, talk to us about your upbringing. We've had a few Baltimore guys on the show. The, the common theme is this, you know, it's, it's tough out there. You know what I mean? Your brother was addicted to drugs. Uh, Pops uh, served some time. What was your childhood and in, in, in teenage years like in Baltimore? Well, it was challenging. You know, it was challenging growing up in the city of Baltimore. You know, at the age of five, I got shot. You know, being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, that's the type of environment that we, we grew up in. But for us, you know, as kids, you don't know any different. It's like normal. It's like normalcy in terms of trying to just adjust to the environment and to the atmosphere that, you you know, you raised in. Um, playing, you know, trying to pursue that game as well as trying to grow up. You know, again, you know, it, you have to look over your shoulders quite a bit. But at the same time, you know, we had an, a, a dream that was floating around in my head. Myself, Reggie Williams, you know, Reggie Williams and I was like Mutt and Jeff. Uh, he and I grew up together in the inner city of Baltimore. And then he and I was able to push one another, keep each other on the, on the, on the same path, motivate one another and uh, take that journey and, and understand that we had an opportunity to not only do something for ourselves, but do something for our families. And, um, you know, so we had to try to, you know, keep our nose clean, if you will, uh, make sure that we understood how the, the importance of what the education was back then, because growing up, you know, that big terminology that was floating around was dumb jocks, dumb jocks. And having players that came before us and, you know, the guys like the Skip Wise, the Ernie Grahams, Dwayne Woods, the Kevin Bush, those guys before us, 
having the opportunity to witness those guys uh, play the game and taking it as far as they could, but not able to take it to the highest level, which was the NBA. It just gave us, you know, that, that, that inspiration that we can, you know, change the trajectory not only for our, our families, but for our community as well in terms of the brand of basketball we have playing Absolutely. in our community. I want to backpedal real quick because you kind of just slid over like it was nothing. You said you got shot at five. Can you talk <laughs> to us about that? Well, yeah, you know, as I said, the neighborhood where we grew up, I mean, growing up in the inner city, you grew up a lot quicker than probably in some of the suburbs. And you're exposed to things that you didn't realize as a kid that you would be witnessing at that early age. And outside of our apartment building, a fight had broken out. And of course, me, inquisitive mind, wanted to see what was going on. I snuck out the house and one of the kids took a rock and broke one of the store owner's windows. And the store owner came out, went straight to his shed and grabbed his double barrel shotgun and just started shooting in the neighborhood. And fortunate enough for myself, the bullet went over my head, but then all the buckshots went through my arms and then my legs, which I still carry one in my arm to keep me up a reminder where I've come from. Um, and, you know, those are the things that, it, for me, I think I look at it two, 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 two folds because at that same time, early on, you know, I used to go try to pursue the game of basketball. And a lot of kids used to make fun of me. You know, I was the butt of everybody's jokes because of my height. And the ball was so big and I didn't know how to control it. But after that incident, in terms of being shot and going through that dramatic experience, I think it, it changed my mindset. Because, you know, once again, when I went back on that basketball court and heard the kids, you know, hurling all the little small jokes they could possibly come out of their mouth, it didn't have the same impact that it once did. And probably I'm quite sure that the, the dramatic experience that I just alluded to when I went through by being shot, you know, the least of my words was their words. You know, I was just still frustrated that I didn't know how to play the game of basketball at the time and that I didn't have anything to combat them with in terms of being able to compete and, and, and shut them down in that regard. When did you feel like you kind of got a grasp of the game and really start to fall in love with the game of basketball? Well, at the age of seven, that's when I met my blessing, Mr. Leon Howard. I think me and Reg, Reggie, when we both met him at the same time because we was at our recreation center. And while we was down there playing with this ball, here it is, I just met Reg that day. And this little young man come walking up and approach us. He's about 5'7". Um, he was a former collegiate basketball player. He happened to be the director of our recreation center at the time. And he saw us playing with the ball, and he asked us, were we interested in learning the game of basketball? And little that we knew, we was meeting our blessing, the guy that had all the information that we that we needed to change our whole perspective of life. And what Mr. Howell did for us, not only did he drill us, sharpen up our skills, instill the knowledge in terms of the game of basketball, but he gave kids vision that we didn't think that existed growing up in that inner city. And by him taking that, you know, mentorship and that role in terms of caring for those individuals in the neighborhood, it changed so many kids' lives. And I'm so thankful that we had a guy of his caliber being able to change us and give us a, a means of what life could be. You know, Absolutely. Where'd the nickname Muggsy come from? Come from playing the game of basketball at the age of seven years old. Um, I'm out there stealing the ball. And I'll tell you, before... At the beginning, guys didn't want to pick me because of my size and everything and so forth. And because, 
you know, they thought that they was getting a kid that couldn't compete with all the other kids. And um, and one given morning, I mean, one one day, one of the kids couldn't play because they saw me down there playing on the on these milk crates. I, you know, because when I didn't get picked, I got a little creative. I just cut two, cut the bottom out of milk crates, and I tied it on each end of the fence. And I gathered a couple little kids around who wasn't playing, and we had some of the great milk crate basketball that I can never imagine. And then from that. Playing milk crate basketball, one of the kids on the basketball court, on the big goal, I should say, he had to leave. So one of the kids holler, hey, you little shrimp, you want to play? And of course, this was my moment, my opportunity, because I always felt like I had the skill set now because of what Mr. Howell had instilled in me. And then once I played against my first opponent, of course, he dribbled the ball. I stole it from him right away, laid it up. And then he tried to do it the second time. I stole it from him again, gave it to my teammate, and he scored. And the third time, he tried to get a little more aggressive because he was much bigger than myself. And, of course, I gave him a fake one way and went around the other, stole it from him again and laid it up. <laughs> and then, of course, this guy stopped hollering, man, hold on. This little kid out here mugging you, man, mugging you all over the, the place. And it was a show. We used to come on every Saturday called The Bowery Boys. And one of the characters, he was a small guy. His name was Bugsy. And they kind of tied my aggressiveness for playing basketball and I've been Muggsy ever since I was seven years old. You know, no one know my my mama named me Tyrone Curtis Bugs. Your high school career, yeah. arguably one of the greatest high school teams of all time at Dunbar, uh, had yourself, uh, Reggie Williams, David Wingate, and the late, great Reggie Lewis, uh, your junior and senior year, 59-0. and 0. Talk to us about that team and, and the relationships you developed and just how fun it was uh, playing high school with all those guys that ended up being in the NBA along with yourself. Oh, man, that was special time back then. I mean, here it is. It's well before these guys now. You do, you know, you do a lot of recruiting where they got these prep schools. They got these guys trying to build this dominant program. We That's all just crazy. lived in the neighborhood. You know, the, the, the school was just right across the street from myself. And my mom, everybody went to Dunbar, everybody in my family. Um, same with Reg and Wingate and all those guys. Um, and when we all got there, I mean, we knew that we were, we had something special because uh, we c- competed against one another during the summer. You know, we lived in Lafayette Projects. Wingate and them lived up at Cecil Kirk. So we used to play them all the time and compete against them, you know, and I always, I always get on them how we used to get the better of them all the time uh, when we played against them. But when we had the opportunity to play with each other, I mean, that was really special. I mean, p- people don't understand that we had 11 guys. Uh, actually, I should say 15 of those players all That's got crazy. Division One scholarships. That's crazy. All got Division One scholarships. And Reggie Williams, I mean, Reggie Lewis, the late Reggie Lewis, I should say, Reg was our sixth man. He didn't even start. Wow. He came off the bench. And uh, But, you know, it was a special time. But all credit to Coach Wade. You know, Coach Wade was the ultimate leader. You know, he was the one that understood who we were. He was empathetic. He knew what made us tick. He knew what, where we came from. He knew how much talent we have. So he made each and everybody accountable. And but more important, and also he gave us vision. You know, we had clarity. We understood what the mission was at hand. But more importantly, gratitude. We was grateful. You know, we was really grateful to be with one another. But we also understood the importance of how to win and how to lose. And fortunate enough for us, we never experienced the losing side, you know, because he was a former professional football player who really was a disciplinary, and he really stressed how to conduct yourself one and off the court. That's important. 
Talk to us a little bit because I don't think he is talked about enough. Uh, the late, great Reggie Lewis, who lost his life uh, by playing for the Boston Celtics. Um, you know, you touched on growing up with him and, and getting a chance to play with him. But what kind of person was he off the court? Reg was unbelievable. He, him and Reggie Williams, they were two mirrors. They was identical. Both were quiet, didn't talk much. They was assassin when they got on the floor. Their game was kind of similar to one another. The only thing with Reg was is that, you know, Reg was more of a, a slasher. And when he became the first all-star amongst all of us. And he took Boston to heights where nobody thought they would go after Larry Bird had retired. Reg became that guy. And who knew what would have happened if Lenny Bosby right. had been there with him? I mean, that's how special Reg was in terms of his ability to galvanate all the guys around him. I mean, Reg, I mean, he, he gave MJ troubles. That's how difficult Reg was. His length, um, it was hard for him, him in terms of, because he played both ends of the floor. People didn't understand that. Reg played both ends of the floor. He had the total package, mid-range. He could shoot the three ball. And you never sped him up in terms of, wanting to play him at a certain speed. He played his speed every time that he stepped on uh, the Obviously, mental health is something that's kind of new to our community um, as black folks and new to sports overall. But how hard was it for you when you heard the news that your brother had passed during the game? Well, you know, people don't understand that he collapsed while we was playing in the playoffs. And... While we was playing, you know, we just thought that he tripped over Johnny Newman's foot. And then we came to find out it was a little more severe than that. And even when we was growing up, we didn't have no indication that Reg, Reg had any type of heart, heart problems. I mean, that was always kept within the family, I'm assuming. Um, we found out, like everybody else, when the news came out, when he couldn't finish the series when we played against them in Boston. And then here it is, I just, left, I just lost my father that week, and then a week, and we had just lost to the New York uh, Knicks in the playoffs. And come to find out, Reg had just passed away. And I was in Phoenix, Arizona when I got the news. And I had spoken to him probably a week before that um, because he was now, I don't say he was cleared, but he was feeling better and he... You know, I, I didn't know he had the permission to work out to start his, you know, conditioning, but that's what he was doing. And it was devastating. You know, it was devastating. It was too young, 27 years old. I mean, even though we grew up with life expectancy, we didn't think it was past 20. But, you know, once we was able to overcome that and we was on to prosperous things and to have him at the pinnacle of his career, I mean, it, it was heartbreaking. Condolences, man, for the loss of your father and your brother. Baltimore, and even extending to the DMV region, why has there been so much talent to come out of those areas, you think? Well, it's just a lot of kids who came from there that they look up to. And it's became, I don't want to say it's the mecca of the game of, of basketball, but it's a hub. It's definitely a hub. And it's anytime you got uh, kids... Now, these days, you know, as the tension that the NBA has been receiving, I mean, it's overwhelming. And they see guys like themselves out of their neighborhoods, out there on that on that dance floor. And that's something that they believe that 
they won as well. I mean, now we got this thing is where it's global, where we got so many kids that's dreaming, not just the people that's in the United States. So the game has broadened, the game has grew, and having those guys back home, and that's why I always tell them, God's is a diamond dozen. So, you know, we always got to conduct ourselves the best way on and off the court because we never know who's watching. Body language is a key as well as your skill set. And we got to put ourselves and separate ourselves in order to get the attention that we desperately deserve. And these guys understand that. We got now programs that giving these guys a platform to be able to operate from. You got Durant, the Mellows, you know, of course, in other states with CP and all these other guys. But now we have those platforms where these guys can go to these organizations, these establishments to work on their skill set. You know, we didn't have that growing up. We just had we just had recreation centers. You know, we didn't have trainers, guys that trained us and skilled up. I had a recreation director who happened to knew the game of basketball who just gave us that information. You know, which is totally right. different today, and, and that's the way the world is now. So you chose to go to Wake Forest. What other, what other schools were recruiting you, knowing that you was a five three guard? Oh well, you know, I had quite a few schools recruit me. I had Virginia, I had Seton Hall. It really came down to Wake Forest and Seton Hall. You got to keep in mind, we was the number one team in the country, so we had a slew of coaches coming in, trying to pursue us in terms of trying to get us to go to their university. But for me. You know, I always use, and, and people don't understand, our practice, a lot of the college coaches, they came to our practice more so than they came to our games. People don't understand that. They came to our practice more than they came to our games. And my motto was, they, whoever they came to watch, I want to make sure they talked about <laughs> me going out. And practice was something that was even tougher than the games. People don't realize we might have had the second best team in the on country the bench. Mm-hmm. on the bench. I mean, that's how talented our guys were. I mean, people don't hear about them today, but back then these guys had talent and they were skillful and they understood the game. And, you know, we had that type of chemistry, that bond with one another where, you know, I had the understanding that if these coaches come in here to Georgetown, the Carolinas, I want to make sure they talked about me. Even though they didn't pursue me as hard as they did, especially Georgetown, which Coach Thomas said he, that he regret that he didn't pursue me as hard as he once did. Um, you know, I didn't have any regrets because it was all up to me in terms of what I felt comfortable for me and what I felt was best for me and my family. And this was the very first time that me and Reggie Williams had to decide to go separate ways because... Keep in mind, we've been playing with each other since we were seven years old. From elementary school, junior high school, we didn't have ele- we didn't have middle school back then. And junior high school, and then the high school. You know, in the summertime, we played in our recreation summer league teams. Um, we traveled all the time to five star. So he and I was connected with each other from seven all the way up to we was eighteen years old. And then, of course, the decision for me to go to Wake Forest was based on. ACC was the toughest conference back then. My mom, you know, she couldn't afford to travel. My dad was in prison, so they could just turn on the TV every Saturday and watch their little fella play. So that came down to me in terms of the best decision. And Seton Hall, P.J. Colissimo was a little disappointed that I decided to go up there with them because they was really coming at me really hard. They had the kid Andre McLeod and those guys. 
but I felt weight academically as well as uh, the basketball realms. I think that was the best spot for me. What's some of your best memories? You overlapped. You talked about the ACC. You overlapped MJ, uh, Lynn Bias, and the ACC. What was that like? Oh, that was awesome. I mean, again, I, I felt that was the best conference at the time in terms of the competition. I mean, we was going to every night. I had to face a Mark Price one night, Kenny Smith the next night, a Spud Webbs and Nate McMillan another night, a Vince Hamilton the next night, and then you go down and face Johnny Dawkins and you got uh, Tommy Hamilton and Keith Gatlin. I mean, the ACC was loaded. Then that was only the point guards. The two guards, you got MJ, mm-hmm. and then you all of a sudden you got uh, Lynn Byers, and people don't realize Adrian Branch and those guys. I mean, we had Brad Daugherty. I mean, you keep go down the list. The ACC was was tough, and that's one of the reasons why I felt that um, I wanted to play there because for me, the recognition is the key, and I felt like I played against, I played on one of the best high school teams that people say that has ever been assembled. Um, and I felt comfortable with my skill set and what I was capable of doing. I just wanted the opportunity, and I knew getting that national attention in the ACC will allow me to have that. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter let's please welcome jamal crawford to point game king of the court one-on-one tournament if they had it back in your prime do you think he could have took it all i'm gonna be honest with you i don't think i could have took it all but i think i would have shocked a lot of people i think kobe and everybody in their prime kobe would win a one-on-one contest yeah yeah because you gotta think he's gonna guard he don't care about guarding He's gonna guard. He's gonna exactly. guard. Like you see him in the Olympics, exactly. he's gonna guard. And then on I'm top of that, like that, see that, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. And then his, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college? Because he ain't need it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. 
From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. 1986, you was able to win the gold in the FIBA championships with uh, David Robson, Steve Kerr, and some other guys. How was that experience? It was an unbelievable experience. You know, we was the last collegiate team that won that gold medal before they sent the dream team over there in 92 because David and them lost in 88 uh, that year um, in right. the Olympics. It was unbelievable. I mean, back then, you know, you guys got to, well, I don't know, y'all just a little too young. It was, uh, you know, it was a terrorism going on back then. You know, they was outside mm-hmm. of our hotel room with machine guns um, protecting us. And I remember me and Kenny, we was late uh, one game in Spain and uh, because of our activities <laughs> that we decided to do the night before, <laughs> And we had to run <laughs> to the to the uh, to the gym, and we were starters back then. And when we ran to the gym, of course, you know, Coach Lou Olson was our coach at the time, and you know he decided we was playing this. I believe he was playing this German team, Germany team, and they looked, I mean, so out of shape. These guys look like they're about forty years old. Here it is, we early in our early nineteen and eighteen years old. And uh, these guys and look like they're in their 40s. and um, But they had us. And Kenny, like I said, Kenny and I were starters. But we was late to that game. So he told us to move on the bench. We sit on the end of the bench. By halftime, they had us by 25. And <laughs> you know how in those type of settings, it's all about qualifications. And you can't be right. losing to certain teams. So, of course, he put us back in the game the second half, we come back. We are probably by about nine or ten or whatever it is. He took us right back out <laughs> and put, put Jeremy Abkinum back in the game. I guess he was trying to make a point, but that was a great experience, man. Playing against the USSR, the Russians, uh, Sabonis, the true Sabonis back then, um, and playing against the Dryzen Pachovics of the world, the late Dryzen Pachovics. I mean, that was a great experience, man, because they was considered professional players during that time. We were just collegiate players. And being able to accomplish that goal, to win the gold medal, and stand on that podium to hold that cup, put the gold medal around your neck, it was a surreal Talk to us moment. a little bit about uh, how good first Sabonis was because we got, the, you know, the, he got to the league at a, at a later age, and they said he was incredible at a young age. And then we got to see how special Drajan Petrovic was. So talk to us about both those players at that time when you got a chance to play against them and how good they were. Well, of course, Sabonis was like MJ over here in, in the States. I mean, he was a, he was that type of talent as well as that had that type of recognition. For a big guy to have that type of skill set, to be able to pass, to be able to shoot it, 
to be able to play with your back towards the basket as well as face the basket. That was something that we haven't seen over here and even in the States. So he really, you know, drew a lot of attention in that regards and being able to have that type of, you know, ability to now translate it into the NBA was unbelievable. And the mm. trials and Pasovic, I mean, people don't understand how great Patrick was. I mean, I had the fortunate enough to be able to play him over there when he was playing with Yugoslavia. And I had the fortunate enough to shut him down. I mean, he was averaging about 37, 40 wow. points before we, before we played him, the night before we played the Russian team. And that was a very big game. Kenny Smith was supposed to have that assignment that night, but I went over to Kenny and told Kenny as we was going on the floor, let me start off on, on Drive. And if he have a, you know, he start to have his little way or something, then you can get on him. Of course, Kenny never had an opportunity <laughs> to get back to him. Uh, because Patrick, he only had around about 12 points that game, averaging, at, at the, mm-hmm. averaging around 30 during that tournament. And that was allowed us to, you know, to prevail through that game. Um, but those guys, man, him and another guy over there, Oscar Smith, you know, who's in the Hall of Fame. Oscar was another talented player during that time, during that era. You know, those three guys really stood out. Sabonis, uh, Patrick, as well as Oscar Smith. Oscar Smith, I remember hearing something about him. Uh, 12th overall pick in the 1987 draft to the Bullets. What was your draft process like and kind of the culmination of, you know, starting at seven years old and, and, and everything kind of your dreams finally uh, materializing uh, to allow you to be drafted uh, in the NBA? Well, of course, that was very special, man. I mean, here it is. You want to do it just like everybody else, just like all the big guys have done it. You know, none of us small guys was, at that time didn't have that opportunity. My boy Spud didn't get that opportunity. Michael Adams and those guys you know, they didn't ever experience that. And for me to be able to experience that and, and be able to go through that process and put myself in that situation, I, you know, and we was coming up at the time, I was already projected to go late first, early second, as well as Scottie Pippen and myself. And then after that Chicago, Portsmouth, um, at the Portsmouth and Chicago camps. <laughs> yeah. After those two camps, man, that's where the NBA you know, the, the 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 coaches as well as the, the GMs, they get opportunity to go see you as opposed to the scouts. And he and I was able to, you know, showcase our skills and 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 raise our stock to where I became the twelfth player, he became the fifth player chosen. So it was a surreal moment, man. The weight of the world was lifted off of my shoulders that night, uh, being able to go up, shake the commissioner David Stern hand and put your hat on was up. Like I said, it was a surreal moment. At that point, me. the journey had just really begun. But your rookie year, you got a chance to play with the late, great Moses Malone, rest in peace, and Bernard King, two bucket getters. What was that experience like? Oh, mm-hmm. man, it was heaven. Mo was my guy. Mo took, Mo was my, I was Mo's rookie. He took me under his wing and uh, just taught me all the do's and don'ts about this game and, and about the NBA, which... Um, I credit him for me allowing him to play 14 years and get paid for 17. Moses was something special, having the opportunity to, to, to play with him and throw that ball to him and, and run that floor with him was breathtaking. But not only that, but we became so close off the floor. I mean, when I remarried in 2015, of course, he was at the wedding. And that was devastating because things happened right afterwards, you know, not too far, not too many months afterwards, but so, 
But anyway, playing with him, man, was special. He was my guy. He called me the Baltimore <laughs> pimp, you know, because of where I came from, mm-hmm. Baltimore, and the type of, you know, I always come in with all type of color skins, pink skins, green skins, you know, in terms of shoes. And he used to call me the Baltimore pimp, but I miss him dearly. And BK, man, BK was a walking bucket, as you said. You know, he was coming off of that injury mm-hmm. off his one leg, and he always said, Mugs, as soon as I get across half court, I, 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 need to, I need to get it, look for it. I said, all right, B. But I always tell him, I said, well, B, you can't take no more than two dribbles, damn it. You know, I want my assist. So uh, he always understood that. It was great <laughs> playing with those guys, man. Them Hall of Famers and allowed me to be who I was. So I was grateful to be able to, you know, to have that time with him. Two greats. But what do you feel like your personal welcome to the NBA moment? My personal welcome to the NBA moments was when, <laughs> when Buck Williams gave me eight stitches. You know, I, I went down and we play in New Jersey and here I am going down trying to get this little loose rebound and in the lane, so to say, and he let me know that this is not where God belongs. <laughs> and I caught a big elbow right across my eye at eight stitches from that moment. So that was my introduction Damn, to the women. That's tough. <laughs> you also got a chance welcome, to play with Manu Bowl, and everybody was fascinated at the time that obviously he was the tallest player and you were the shortest player. What was it like playing with him? It was my guy. I mean, me, him, and Mo, man, God almighty. We was like, everywhere you've seen the two of them, you've seen me. If, if you had to look down. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I tell you, man, that, Nudie was funny. He was so funny, man, that... You know, you got to keep in mind that we didn't have uh, private planes back then. We all flew commercial. You know, that's been back yeah. in 88. We, you know, teams didn't have those type of uh, situations. So, and when we go fly, you know, it's only eight first-class seats. So they went by seniority. So, of course, Newton and I got bumped in the back, and we in the back, and you can imagine his knees all up in his chest <laughs> because the seats are so daggone small. And he back there trying to tell me how he killed lions with a spear. I'm like, what? What kind of lions you guys got over there? Lion with no teeth in the mouth? Talking about you killing lions with a spear. But he was funny, man. He was such a treat to be with. And I'm so happy and so proud of Bobo um, because he's such a slight image of his daddy. Uh, even though the skill set is totally mm-hmm. different. You know, Newt always, you know, I would give you just one story. Minute and I was playing one-on-one. <laughs> and Moses was just geeking it up. He was geeking it. So, Mo, Mo, I mean, Newt liked to shoot his little slingshot, like, by his ear. You know, you know I had a 44-inch vertical jump, so... He went to go shoot it, and I oh, blocked shit. the shot. Boy, that pissed him <laughs> off. And Mo was just all over him. He chased me around that damn gym about 15 minutes. <laughs> He couldn't catch me. (laughs) And, you know, and then when he tried to catch me, you know, I was a wrestler. You know, I wrestled back in my day. So I kind of grabbed his little legs and put him up in the head, threw him up a little bit, let him know, hey, boy, I can can slam you any moment now, you know. (laughs) So that was one of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was one of them things I had to, you know, you know, wrestling was my thing before basketball. So you blocked his shot and you almost dipped him. That's all bad for big fella. (laughs) (laughs) 1988, the NBA expansion draft. They had the two teams, Charlotte Hornets and Miami Heat. Yeah, yeah, man. That was, I tell you what, that was another opportunity where I, I, I got another whistle uh, with the, that, that ugly head. The NBA shows itself because I just, the season had just ended. We just lost to Detroit in the playoffs. And we had, I had my exit meeting with Wes Unsell. 
you know, me and Wes, we sitting there, and Wes was telling me, you know, all the positive things and what we're going to try to get to next year. You know, we had a bunch of older guys on Washington. You know, Moses and Bernard King, those guys, you know, they was at the end of their careers. And I had Terry Catlins, and I had the young John Williams at the time. So Wes had said, well, you know, Muzz, we're going to bring in a lot of up a lot of up-tempo guys, you know, we want to play fast-paced, we want to do this and that. And I felt excited. I thought that, you know, we all was on the same page. But as soon as I got home to my town home, I got a call from my agent, David Falk. And David, David asked me, you know, how do I feel about going to Charlotte? And I'm like, Charlotte? Who, what, is, what is Charlotte? I didn't even realize the special team was coming at the time. He said, well, there's a new team, Charlotte Hornets, about to come in, and it's a possibility that they're really interested in, and they might and they want to take you. I said, well, I just left my exit meeting with Wes. And Wes was, you know, talking about who they, you know, they're going to bring in some guys that more or less up-tempo style of play. He said, well, they just told me that they wasn't going to protect you. And you're going to go to Charlotte. And so I'm like, hey, this is MF. This is some bold the business. crap, man. These guys just sit there and told me, yeah. And that's when I learned the nigga here, that, that ugly mm-hmm. head of the business. And, uh, but... It was a match made in heaven for me, you know, coming to Charlotte, uh, even playing here for four years in the Carolinas. So the people was aware of who I was. And, you know, playing with guys like Dale Curry and Rex Chapman that early on, Kirk Rams and Kelly Trapuka, you know, I was just hungry. You know, I felt, well, this is an opportunity for me to go down here and make something of my career and try to make the best of it, regardless of this situation. You know, look at it positively and try to, you know, get what you want out of it and see, you know, if it, if it worked out in your favor, which it actually did. What was the energy like with an expansion team? Obviously, it being new, they knew you from Wake Forest, so it made sense. But what was the energy? How big were the crowds? You know, obviously, expansion is new. So did, your first season, what was it like with, with, with all those uh, things Man, this crowd was unreal. Do they realize Charlotte was? I mean, when we, I I was surprised because I just, I I knew they knew college basketball. I didn't think they was, they didn't know anything about the professional sports. But we had the very first night, we had twenty four thousand in attendance. The men had tuxedos on, and the women had their gowns. So it was a a formal affair for them. And of course, we lost to Cleveland (laughs) by forty points that night. <laughs> but believe it or not, as we walked off the floor, they stood up and gave us a standing ovation. We knew we we knew that was something. We knew we was in a special place, and uh, and we just couldn't wait to you know to get the season going to try to win as many games as we possibly can. You know that very first year we only won twenty games. Uh, then come back the year after that we won nineteen games, and then from that moment on we start climbing the ladder with thirty one, forty four, fifty five, and fifty five, and so forth. So. Um, but we started getting good draft picks, but it had to do, you know, with the great selection of bringing in the Lonzo Marnies, the Larry Johnson, the Kendall Gills, and other worlds for us to get over that hump. But at the beginning, the, the, the town supported us. We broke attendant records for nine straight years. That was the Coliseum, right? It was the Coliseum that was over at Tavola, uh, on Tavola Road, was, as opposed to the one that's uptown. Yeah, because my, my first year, I played there. I played one year of my first year. In 2000, 2001, I played uh, in the Coliseum. Okay, yeah, yeah, because 2002, that's when they left. Yep. Yep, they left in 2002. Actually, 
So your first year in the league was I, would you, I thought you came in like '98, '97. I got drafted. I got drafted in '97, but I bounced around overseas and came back in in 2000, 2001. Talk to us a little bit. You touched on them, but but what it meant to add people to the roster like Larry Johnson and Alonzo uh, Mourning, as you said, you guys continued to get better as a franchise and, and and started making your playoff appearances. But how 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 talented were those young guys, and how much did they help uh, you and your team? Yeah, I mean that was. Uh... I tell you, that was the beginning. I mean, our first major draft pick was J.R. Reed. I mean, well, Rex Chapman was the first, but then we got J.R. Reed. We started climbing. Then when we got Larry, well, we got Kendall Gill, and then when we got L.J., you know, that that was the the beginning. That was the beginning because we came off a 31 uh, winning season that year, and then when L.J. came, you know, we was able to elevate all the way up to 44 wins his first game, I mean, his first year. And then the next year, we acquired Alonzo. And then, you know, the history from there was, I mean, that's from there on, that's where we start to really elevate our franchise, even though Zoe was with us for just three years. But within those three years, and LJ, fifth, fifth, I think that would have been his fifth year. Um, I mean, we put ourselves on a national level. I mean, we was one of the young, hot, up-and-coming teams at the time, along with Miami and Orlando, because um, Shaq and Penny was over there. Uh, we, we was we was right there amongst all of them, you know. And that, during that time, these guys, at this, I mean, especially Larry, you know, his rookie year. I recall telling him, you know, right at the midpoint, did you want to win the rookie of the year? Because at the time, Matumbo had a little slight edge of him, and he caused like, come on, little fellow, you, you damn right, I want to win the rookie of the year. So I told him, okay, well, we're going to get you that book of the year. And I, and I specifically kind of focused on L a lot during that time. Um, but it was easy because, shit, he created the opportunities. I mean, we running, mm-hmm. you know, you can kind of have the means of looking one way and, and making a guy follow that direction. And, you know, you get the ball the other direction. So having him win that award was special because that's the bond that he and I always had developed with the relationship with one another, the trust with him, Alonzo, Dell, Rex, all the guys. I mean, the bonds that we build with one another is, is second to none. Take us back a little bit. The East in the late 80s, early 90s was, I mean, you could punch people. You could take them out of the air. You could do all that and not get kicked out of the game. <laughs> Fast forward by the time me and Jack played, if you push someone, you get suspended for two games. What was the physicality back, uh, like back then with the bad boy Pistons, Riley's Knicks, MJ's Bulls were on the rise? Uh, what were those battles like for you personally? Well, it was great for me. I mean, I didn't have any problems with it. Probably people think because you're small that you had some kind of issue. No, nah, I mean, that was the right. era that we played in. That's how I grew up, you know. Um, and that's where, I mean, we had big guys camping in the lane. You know, we had that three seconds or you had to dip in and dip out. No, they're big asses were just standing there where... You couldn't go down there and sort of, you know, just do what you want. You had no free lane. But that's the game, man. That's what the game was. You could hand check you, you know, can kind of guide you where you wanted you to go. Uh, you can come across the lane or and get hit. Jealous. And that's mm-hmm. me. And, and, you know, you get hit in, in forms of just, you know, delaying your player, which that wasn't a foul. I um, mean, you can curl guys. You can hug. I mean, you can do a lot more physical. You can be a lot more physical with the guys. But that's why people kind of talk about the game in that regards because, I mean, it was real. 
I mean, you just couldn't get to your place that you wanted to go just as easily right. as you wanted to. You know, and that's one of the reasons why they created some of these rules and trying to make the game faster for the fans and more, you know, entertaining and that sort of stuff where the lane is wide open. Um, you don't have nobody camping in the lane. You can't hand check. You can't touch. Um, you can't impede one progress. So it's, it's all those type of things that come into play today to where guys of our era always feel like, you know, they can play in this era. And I always say any NBA player feel like they play in any era. <laughs> you know, that's just the confidence right. within themselves. You know, that's why they became yeah. NBA players. Uh yeah, but in all, in all actuality, they can't. Because there's some soft motherfuckers out there. You know just as well as I know. A lot of them motherfuckers would not be nowhere around. <laughs> well, I, 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 looking, at this, looking at this era right here, I can tell you, there's a lot of guys won't be able to play in our era. I mean, because we're looking at skill sets in terms of how they want to justify the games. You know, we had seven footers playing with their back towards the basket. Mm -hmm. You know, we got seven footers now bring the ball up mm -hmm. the court. So the game was totally different in, in that regards. And, and looking at these guys, how they dribble, man, I feel like I would have had a field day <laughs> in terms of being able to steal the basketball. I mean, it, it, I mean, just looking at it in terms of, you know, with the way they teach the game now and, you know, with, you know, I can get into a lot of stuff with the fun, with the two balls and all that type of stuff. But... I don't want to go there. You know, the people, how they feel like they need to sharpen their skills, I'll let them go and do that right. <laughs> right. You got a chance to play against CMJ in college. Uh, you guys are in the league at the same time. You're, you start to see him build his legend. Uh, any great memorable matchups or stories against MJ you could share? Well, you know, MJ, <laughs> he always liked to, like, well, I would say, he always liked to fuck with me. You know, you know that, that you know he just that's just who we are <laughs> with one another when we come in contact. I mean, even off the court to this to this day, you know, walking around, he'll put his hand up high, trying to you know for me to give him a high five, and, and, and I'll put my hand down low, like, and then you come down and give me a low five. So it's just it's just the way we compete. I mean, compete against one another, but but. But M, man, you know, he, he always tell you, you know, especially when we end up playing the game, you know, I know he, it was some stuff that's going on in the internet where they say that he called me a midget, which is not true. Um, and they felt like he had some kind of impact, which is not true. He always called me short, little fella. Yeah, you really little ass. He always mm -hmm. called me little ass and that sort of stuff. So um, we playing against them. Of course, he got the ball. He just came back from uh, from retirement. He got the ball up in the air, and I'm at him. I, I'm playing him on the baseline one on one. And of course, everybody on my team know that I don't like help. Don't come and help me. You know, I don't care where you are. Where the guys don't come help me. Because yeah, they no no back and try to back me down because guys ain't used to playing their back to the bats anyway. But anyway, this particular moment, and I guess it became infamous because he got as a card that's out where he holding yeah. the ball up, and I'm looking yeah. right at him. I see you know, it. And I'm I see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking shit to him. I'm telling him, come on, what you going to do? And then all of a sudden, he started to try to back me in. And try to back me in and try to back me in. And then all of a sudden, he tried to turn around and shoot his little jumper. I smacked it down, but they called illegal defense on somebody because they wasn't in, they was on across the line. But I always fucking with that time. Look, you know, you know that was a steal, don't you? Yeah, no, we, you know, we play with each other in that back and forth. That's what I do. <laughs> you know, I'm a, that ball, that ball defender. I'm gonna make you think about that when you got that ball in your hand. Yes, sir. 
You make your first playoff appearance in 1993. You beat Boston in the first round and lose to the Knicks in the second round. What's the memories of those of your playoff experience, your first playoff experience? Well, for one, it was a great stepping stone for the franchise. Of the first year that we made the playoffs, uh, that was Alonzo very first year. And for him to be able to close it out, hitting that shot and being able to, you know, prevail against that Boston series was a great moment for the for the city, for the organization, and for each of us individually, you know, because that was the beginning of our careers in terms of post-play, in terms of being able to, you know, play after the regular season. So that was a big step, uh, mm-hmm. stepping stone for us, and we really felt like we was on our way after that moment. In the following years, you make the playoff, you make two more playoff appearances, but don't make it out the first round. Knee injuries in your time in Charlotte. How was that feeling, knowing that the the injuries uh, stop you from continuing to be great in Charlotte? Uh, well, yeah. Well, I didn't think it was going to come to an end because I was promised <laughs> that I was going to retire as a Hornet. Uh, me and Dell, uh, in terms of what our involvement was with the organization. Um, but people don't understand, man. During that time, I have given so much, not only to the organization, but for the city, and sacrificed a lot, restructured my contract and so forth and all that. Um, from the, from 90 to 94, I mean, you go back, look, you know, I was top three in the series, you know, was average to double-double one of them year, was close to having to double-double uh, throughout the years, um, but I was one, uh, one point short of it uh, several times, uh, but I was had one, and when I had my knee issue, people don't realize I was playing on one knee. You know, here it is. They question about your five, three, and this and that, but I was out there playing on one knee, still was able to be productive and run my team mm-hmm. and so forth. And I was begged to come back because I I missed the entire season the year before um, due to my bone bruise. And when I discovered acupuncture, you know, I was able to now to get strength back in my quads and pull that pressure off of my knee. And then they was talking about, well, Muggsy, we need you. We Would you wind up playing on one knee? I know, I understand. We, you don't have to play in the back-to-back games and this and that. So I, I accommodated them in doing so. And we won mm-hmm. 56 games that year, all right? We lost to New York in the playoffs. And now it's time to give me my extension. And here it is. They bring in a new GM. So all of a sudden, I, don't even, I ain't going to mention names. I don't even want to mention names because I don't want to go there. They bring in new GMs and all this and that. Of course, you know, Coach Joshi and Aubrey and them had promised me that I would retire there. So they bring in a new GM. They decided to not give me my extension. And they created all this chaos and come back the next year. They weren't even going to let me practice. Mm. You know, they, they, and so I had to file grievance. They weren't even going to let me practice, not even because they made a trade. They brought someone in. I ain't going to say no names. And they didn't want me to compete against them after we just finished playing against them, beating them all sorts of, you know, having all sorts of success. Hey, come on, Mugs. Hey, Mugs, we need a name, Mugs. Who they bring in, Mugs? Quit playing with us, bro. We need a name. (laughs) Yeah, come on, man. Who they trying to bring in and replace you? You got to say his name. Fuck that. (laughs) I know y'all. I knew it was coming. That's why I set it up that way. That's why I set it up. Well, here they brought in David Wesley. All right, so they had had Dave Collins down there. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. They had Dave Collins down there, and they had Paul Paul Silas was
So here it is, come back to practice mm-hmm. that following year. They they try to lock mm-hmm. me out. And they locked me out. They locked me out of practice. And what year is this? Is this 95? 97? This is 97. Okay. okay. This is 97. This is 90, the okay. year I got traded. Uh, this is 97 mm-hmm. when Jack was asking me that my year was coming to an end. So right after we lose in the playoff to New York and all this and that and come back, and I think I probably had one of the best series throughout everybody. But that's mm-hmm. here and there. So they bring him in. They didn't want me to practice. They try to hold me up. So I'm like, well, damn, I mean, you brought somebody in. Why I can't compete against them? I mean, this is who y'all want to right. run your program so forth. So they didn't let me comp- They didn't let me practice. So I had to file for a grievance. And then they brought, they let me come to practice. Now, while I'm in practice, so they leaving me off for all the teams, the first team, the second team, even the third team. <laughs> so I can't even get on the floor to practice with any of the guys. And Paul Silas, who at the time, Paul Silas was the assistant coach. And I'm like, Paul, this is some bullshit, man. I mean, really? This is how y'all going to treat me? This is how this is y'all treat me now in terms of all of this? After I just came off of right. one leg playing right. with you guys, you begged me to come back and play, and y'all going to treat me like this? Everybody in the organization knew that it was going. It was wrong what they was doing. But anyway, it came to uh, during the regular season when they came to me and asked me, "Well, Muggs, we got to trade." Well, before that happened, we played against New York, a preseason game in our arena. Which in our arena, everybody used to see me as a starter playing all these minutes and so forth. Here it is, I'm on the bench. I didn't get in what one minute of the game. Here it is, we down by 25 to New York, and. The crowd was going crazy. We want Muggsy. We want Muggsy. So that just got under Dave Cowan's skin. And he felt like he didn't want to go on the rest of the season under those conditions. So they made a trade for me and uh, Golden State with B.J. Armstrong. Of course, I could have blocked the trade. And I asked Tony Delp, you know, how was he comfortable? Did you want to move on? Because they was treating him wrong. And T.D. said, Muggs, I'll go with it, man. It don't matter to me. They ain't playing me anyway. The business, as you say. I want to rewind real quick. 96, yeah. you guys draft Kobe Bryant. And uh, obviously, we all know he's traded to the Lakers for Vlade. What was that experience like? Obviously, no one really knew he was going to turn into the player he was. But what could have been? You know, you got what had a year with him at least. Uh, what was that like during that time? Yeah, yeah. It would have been special. But we understood Kobe didn't want to come to Charlotte. He wanted to play in the bigger market. And once we came, once we came to find out that that the Hornets were just taking him based on the request of the Lakers, then oh, okay. of course you know because he he was a high school player getting a lot of hype, and you know at the time we wasn't really following him much, but we was hearing so much about him, and, uh, and I, I personally started to watch a little bit highlights of him, and was getting a little excited like, oh, this is a possibility. This you know young fella could come here and do something special. Uh, but then we found out that, you know, it was a means of him wanting to play in that bigger market. And um, so we just found, realized that who was going to be the next available player that we was going to be able to gotcha. acquire. Uh, you shared the court with Dell, and obviously it's well documented, uh, the, the kind of big brother, if, if you want to call it, or, or second dad you were to Steph and Seth. 
you know, not knowing who obviously Steph was going to turn into uh, years later. What do you recall most about seeing them run around uh, all over the locker room and in, in the gym? Yeah, I mean, it was special. I mean, it was, our kids and his kids are, are very close. And just having the kids in the locker room, man, that's what, that's what it was all about, about family. You know, having them around, being able to be part of the things that we was doing. They enjoyed playing basketball. And, uh, and you know, Dell and I played 11 years together. You know, out of my 14 years, we played nine here in, in Charlotte and two in Toronto. And having the opportunity to, you know, be with Steph and Seth and, and play with them and have an opportunity to, to have an input on their maturation in terms of the game of basketball, I mean, it's priceless for me. It's, it's self-rewarding. Um, saying they was able to carry the game to the highest level, which is the NBA, and the sense Steph now should become the, known as one of the greatest shooters ever to lace up in the NBA. That's mind-boggling. That's mind-boggling for me. You know, giving them a little airplane ride, <laughs> and he's four right. years old, and all of a sudden now he out there shooting the lights out. Man, it's surreal. But I'm so happy and blessed for those guys, for his family, because they deserve it. You know, because they worked extremely hard. You know, Steph, as a kid, he wished he, you know, he was just dreaming to get the 5-3 because he felt like I if I got the 5-3, I right. could play in the NBA. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that was special, man, seeing them guys being able to fulfill their dreams. Uh, you mentioned the trade to Golden State. Uh, you spent some time in Toronto with a young Vince Carter, who out the gate was a monster, but also T-Mac. Talk to us about both those guys, and did you see, again, Vince was hit the scene going crazy, but did you see T-Mac had what he had in him to, to become the star he became? Absolutely. I mean, I looked at those two guys like I looked at LJ and Zoe when they first came in the league. You know, they was hungry, so much talent. And I always remember what Mo had always told me in terms of being able to have that longevity career, understand the importance of how to conduct yourself on and off the court. And I personally took those guys under my wing because I wanted to make sure that they had that opportunity to be the best the best version of themselves because this league can be so crucial, especially the people that's out there coming after you. And when I got an opportunity to play with Vince and T-Mac, I mean, my eyes lit up because they was a little totally different from LJ and Zoe. These mm -hmm. was guards to where they had this ability to create and to be able to, you know, in the highlight realms, the realms that they had was, 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 you know, was amazing. And just listening, having, having their air, being able to have their air, because they was hungry. Um, they was willing to listen and just telling them and teaching them and, you know, how to do's and don'ts to go about yourself and go about to be professionals. I mean, and seeing how they able to put their career together it's priceless, man. It is priceless. That's what it's all about. I know sometimes, I mean, we get used to seeing such amazing stuff all the time that it doesn't really awe us anymore. But with those two in particular, uh, when you, like I said, when you saw them play and some of the stuff they were doing, did you ever catch yourself in a moment like, oh, shit, I got to snap out of this because I'm still playing or, or anything like that? Because, I mean, you know, Vince was making every highlight reel you can imagine. T-Mac, when he got his opportunities, he was doing his thing. Were there any times where they just kind of caught you in, a, in, a, in awe situations? Oh, yeah, in practice every time. I mean, practice, they'd be doing some unreal stuff. But then in the game, I mean, I gave Vince a pass. I didn't think he was going to catch it. We was playing the Charlotte Hornets, believe it or not. <laughs> I threw it, and I thought I threw it too high. I'm like, damn, I threw this a little too high. It was it is exactly right. No such thing. This kid caught it, and not only did he catch it, 
he was able to carry it to the basket. And I was like, stop and say, like, get the fuck, you know. My man. You know, I was just like, well, my man. Yeah, that was, that was some, I'm telling you, man. And I mean, it, it was effortless, too. I mean, his little routine warm-up, just go up and just touch the top of the box on the backboard, you know. And it just feel, it's not like a running jump, just a one little a little one-up jump. And I'm looking at, man, where these kids get bounced right. like that? You know, this thing is natural bounce, but the skill set was something that I was kind of impressed with. You know, the jumping ability was one thing, but the skill set, and I didn't realize that Vince could shoot the ball as well as he did, as well as T-Mac, as well as T-Mac. I didn't realize those guys was uh, could shoot the ball as well as they did. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. What's up? I'm John Wall. And I'm CJ Toledano, and we're starting a new podcast presented by DraftKings called Point Game. We're now joined by three-time NBA Sixth Man of the Year, elite bucket getter. Let's please welcome Jamal Crawford to Point Game. King of the Court one-on-one tournament. If they had it back in your prime, do you think he could have took it all? I'm going to be honest with you. I don't think I could have took it all, but I think I would have shocked a lot of people. I think Kobe and everybody in their prime, Kobe would win a one-on-one contest. Yeah, I, yeah, because you got to think, Love he's going to guard. He don't care about guarding. He's going to guard. He's going to exactly. guard. Like, you see him in the Olympics, he's going to guard. And then on I'm top of that. like that, see that? Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Sam Cassell to Point Game. I remember you came out from crying tears. <laughs> crying tears. I mean, he was in a culture shock. He's, he's going to withdraw us about winning. Remember what I told you? I said, I said, OG, you think I can get paid and go back and play in college because he ain't it. <laughs> Check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, DraftKings YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. You step away from the game in 2001. Shortest player ever, top 25, top 25 in career and assists, played 14 years and had a hell of a resume, bro. Do you have any regrets? No regrets. You know, I was 16 on the list before I left when I first retired. Yeah. And the reason I retired was mainly because my mom. You know, my mom was mm-hmm. battling cancer cancer at the time. Um, I had three years left on my contract. I would have played 17 years. I got paid for 17, but I only played for 14. I'm thankful for Mark Cuban for allowing me to come off the books and not allow them to go over the luxury tax. And he just paid me all the way through to 2004, so I truly appreciate that. Um, but Moms was going through her, her challenges, and for me, she meant everything. She meant everything for me. And I just didn't want to go out there and play no more. You know, once she, once she no longer was part of this, I didn't want to be part of it no more. So I felt like I did enough. I did, enough, I did well enough for my money. You know, I wasn't in no situation, so I just couldn't. I felt like she saw my last game, and there wasn't no need to me go play no more. Condolences. I lost, I lost my mom mm-hmm. to cancer too, and that's how Jack and ah. I came so close. My mom was diagnosed with stage four cancer, November twenty first, two thousand seven, and died the twenty seventh. So, twenty six days. So I know what kind of monster um, cancer can be. So, again, condolences, man. That shit is that shit is never easy. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's been, shit, it's been 21 years, and it felt like it right. still felt like yesterday. Same That's thing, how crazy 14 it years is. for mine, but yeah. it, it seems like it just happened. Yeah. Without yeah. basketball in your life these days, how do you satisfy your competitive drive? I know it's still in you. It'll never leave us. What do you do <laughs> to kind of get that out? Well, because I got my kids. My kids keep me on my toes. I got grandbabies. They keep me on my toes. My foundation, I got a nonprofit foundation where we provide scholarship for trade-bound students. A lot of folks focus on the four-year university students. You know, I really want to kind of give a platform to those kids who have ambitions of going to trade skill schools because I believe they can come right out and be productive and get a job right away and be skillful in those positions. And we also, we feed the community. You know, we got a labor of love program where we go out and feed the community on Thanksgiving, uh, Christmas, uh, Labor Day. So all the holidays, we go to the community and we feed uh, feed the community. Um, thousand families per time at a time to where they can come out and, and not have to make a sacrifice, whether you got right. gas in your car as opposed to food on your table. So, you know, letting my times in that regards and, you know, serving as an ambassador for the NBA as well as the Charlotte Hornets. And, you know, it's a lot of speaking engagements in those, in those regards. So keeps me busy. You do anything athletically still? You still play pickup? You golf? You do anything like that? 
Uh, yeah, I'm golfing okay. all the time. I ain't doing no more running up and down the court. No, nah, no more running up and down the court you, for me. You heard Jack that's talking. That's when he first got on. Jack Jack has had a new founder. Let me get back and start playing, and his body feels like it's going to crash every time he's done. I don't know what Jack, 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 you need to stop that, man, <laughs> and tell you. You don't need to put that notion in your head because you know those little toe injuries take a long time to heal. You can get it caught in your bed sheet, and you can be hurt. Hey. So those are the top. That's what we're dealing with now. <laughs> thank God. Hey, thank God for the tree, yeah, man. They talking about getting thank back God out for cannabis. If it wasn't for cannabis, I'd be in the hospital right now. <laughs> hey, take us back to 1996. You were part of, to me, one of the greatest basketball movies of all time, Space Jam. Um, how did that opportunity uh, come about? Uh, well, my agent was David Falk and Michael, Mike, me, Michael, Patrick, we all had the same agent and David Falk, Warner Brothers, I guess they called them. And they was interested in some guys that pursued this movie, which you just alluded to, Space Jam. And at the time, I just had surgery. You know, I had surgery on my knee and I couldn't even walk. You know, I was on crutches and so forth. And they had Tim Hardaway come out there and, um, and, and read my lines. And they told me, well, you know, Muggsy, just come on out anyway. You know, just we'll just try to find a way to to make it work. If not, then we're going to just go another route. So I just decided to go out there and read my lines. And they kind of created an opportunity where instead of me walking, they was pulling me on a, on a trolley. So I act like I was kind of walking when I'm moving my shoulders on one of the scenes. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it worked out. It worked out. They, 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 they used me. You know, and we had a, I mean, damn, we had so much fun on that set. We was there for about three weeks. That was the same time when they created the basketball gym for MJ, which I couldn't play because I had surgery on my knee, but there was some great pickup games over there. Uh, but on set, <laughs> I remember one morning we were supposed to have a, a shoot and LJ decided to get, he wanted to get a little trim, a little haircut before the shoot. And he let this white dude cut his hair who never cut a black guy hair before. So long story short, he gave him a, a fucked up cut. So we had to cancel the shoot that morning and they had to have somebody from L.A. come in <laughs> to kind of tighten him up to where he felt comfortable going back uh, on cameras. Shit. But man, there were some good days back there. A lot of card playing, a lot of Absolutely. card playing. If there were going to be a biopic of your life, who would play you? Oh shit! Who gonna play? Damn. I mean, too many five foot three guys <laughs> out there. That they kind of. I mean, God, who would? I'm trying to think of an actor, man. I can't think of anybody out there. He that's, may not have to be five foot. Anyway, kept kept kept. Well, yeah, Kevin Hart too damn black. <laughs> you know. Kev, too dark. Kev, too dark, right? Hey, Kev could probably so play you. Kev got, I, I did uh, think like a man with Kev, and I just thought he was a funny guy. that He could he could hoop a little bit. He was out there kind of showing his shit. Kev might be a good one. We just have to uh, put some makeup on him, lighten him up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, he played in the celebrity game with us up in okay. New Orleans, you know, for the NBA, you know, when I played in yeah. that celebrity game. But, yeah, but... I don't know, man. That's that's a hard one to to to, to, to kind of spell. I'm trying to think of, Shit, man. You you got that's me on that. I'm, I'm lost. We'll come, we come back. I'm to lost it. on that one. Lamelo Ball. How has he taken the city of Charlotte in that organization by storm? Lamelo fit in perfect. I mean, he's a great kid. 
He understands where it is. I think he know, meaning by it's a small market. You know, it's not L.A. or New York. Um, he embraced the town. This town has, has open arms with him, embraced him, all sorts of hospitality. Um, I just think he really gets it. You know, be so young, he really gets it. I mean, he really electrified the crowd. I mean, he's a guy, a kid that uh, bringing his teammates and getting them galvanized and believing in them in the city is following right behind him. So I really think that the future is bright. I really believe that bringing in IT was a big push for him. And I told Mitch Kupchak that. Um, but people don't underestimate what IT can mean for a guy like Melo. Not just on the basketball court, but off the court as well in terms of the way this kid was and how he conducted. I mean, they don't realize he was an all-star, you know? So, and they ain't have nobody else on that bench who can give him that type of information, especially at that point guard position. And not only that, he can play alongside them too. So I was really happy and grateful that he got his opportunity here in Charlotte, even though he'd been, you know, getting opportunities in Dallas and, De and Denver and so forth. But I told him this is a place that he can kind of re, you know, rejuvenate Absolutely. his career, especially if this organization look at him the way that I'm looking at him and how he can impact, you know, the young fellas on that team. I think you touched on something that Jack and I talk about all the time is the league is so young now, there's no veteran leadership and how important that really is. And like you said, obviously he could still give you something on the court, but off the court could possibly be even be more valuable at this point, you know, helping guide young players like LaMelo and, and some of the other guys on the roster. But it's something we talk about all the time. I mean, now, I mean, when we came in the league, there was always vets, 37, 38, 39-year-old guys that can kind of, you know, are OGs. Now it's the young leading the yeah. young. So I think that's a great situation uh, for IT, obviously a friend of our show, a uh, friend of the program, but, but happy to see he landed on his feet there. But I love what you touched on because I think it's so undervalued these days that they don't, you know, as soon as you get past shit, 33, 32, 33, 34, that window is shutting and, 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 and how important veterans are to help, especially young teams. Oh, yeah, you know shit. When you, as soon as you hit 30, they looking at you old. You know, I, I remember going, like I said, and they talking, and when you talk about renegotiation, they really bring that up. So, um, I mean, it, I'm just so happy for IT, man. He's a great kid. He's a great kid, man, that deserved this opportunity. You know, with all he went through and he had to endure, to be back in this position because he got a lot to give. And I'm just happy that he's here, been able to give it to this organization, which I got a great fond memory of. Uh, outside of guys on your, uh, the, uh, the, the Hornets, are there any players you enjoy watching today? Oh, of course, of course, Steph. You know, love watching Steph, CP, you know, not just because he went to Wake Forest, but, you know, because he's still that general. Definitely that is. guy that really elevates his teammates and people don't understand the importance of his brilliancy in terms of running a team. You know, running a team is something that is being so underappreciated that people don't really look at that that's the beginning start of how you being able to be really successful amongst that team. So I'm happy for that. And I, I mean, I just love the game. You know, I love watching the game. KD, Kyrie Irving, all the greats that's out there doing their thing from the uh, Ja Morant. And I know that's another special mm -hmm. kid right there. You know, Ja. Ja is really putting his lead on notice. And people don't understand that they're looking at the, the, the athleticism, but the IQ level, it's the IQ level for me. 
in terms of his maturation on that floor, being able to to get his teammates involved and at the same time being able to do his. I'm going to put you on the spot right here. Who do you see? We're about a few weeks away from the playoffs. Who do you see in the finals? Who do you think is going to represent the East? Well, it's hard to go. For me, people will keep talking about, you know, the heat. And for me, I'm just Milwaukee, you got to go through Milwaukee. You know, Milwaukee is, is the complete team for me in terms of what they have and what they was able to do. And you still got to beat the defensive champs in order to become the champs. And the East right now, there's too many unnoticed for me. It's too many concerns. With Brooklyn, you never know what's going on with their situation with Kyrie and so forth. How many more games are you going to be able to participate in? You know, and, and with the Heat, you know, they just, for me, it's something missing. It's just something missing. Even though they got some dogs over there, it's just something missing. Even though with the addition of Kyle Lowry, it still is something missing that where they not gelling like they, even though they got the best record, but it's something that they not gelling the way I think they would have like they did in the past when they won it. So um, in the East is Milwaukee and then in the West it's Phoenix. You know, Golden State got too many inconsistency things going on. Phoenix has been steady, even though CP has been up, but he'll be back. So I got those two. And again, man, I think Phoenix is there. I think so, too. I agree with you. I mean, I like like Golden State, but, you know, with Steph's injury, and like you said, too many unknowns, it's going to be hard to get that rhythm. But Phoenix has stayed consistent. They got a taste of it last year. Everyone thought it was luck that they got there. They took that shit to heart and had a chip on their shoulder all year, got better. Shout out Monty Williams and them boys. So I definitely think, you know, Phoenix, it's going to be a good year for Phoenix. And, and you guys know it takes a lot, a lot to go right in order to win that chip. You know, it just it just takes a lot, you know, and everything just got to line up. A little luck got to happen for you as well. I mean, you just got to line up and with these other teams, with, you know, with Golden State, you know, not knowing the situation with Steph and Clay going through his situation and Draymond just coming back. You know, Phoenix just been steady. They just had an injury with CP, but they just been steady. And they've been playing steady basketball without them. So it's going to be hard. I think it's going to be hard to get yeah, them out. I mean, I'm still riding with Golden State, but I would love to see CP win a chip. Go ahead, Jack. Yeah. Coming from Baltimore like you, talk about Javante Davis and what he means to boxing in Baltimore. Well, you know, we call him Tank. You know, Tank, Tank Davis. T, I mean, he... he, he yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell you, he, he's, he's mean everything to B-more. I mean, that's representation. You know, anybody that come from B-more, man, we're going to rep, we gonna rep the, the city the way we way it's supposed to be represented. You know, and he's a blue collar. I mean, he's a kid that understands where he is and where he come from. And he lives his life in that, in, in that way. You know, he, he's being now, he's being very smart in, in terms of keeping himself out of the lime life and negative uh, situations. He's all about his business. He's about his family. You know, his little girl. I'm just loving everything about Tank, and I'm just so proud that he's able to, you know, be able to make it through those situations growing up in the inner city of B-Mobile. Because people, you know, we all have stories. Everybody have challenges, you know, but when you're able to, you know, overcome those adversities and see them guys, man, being able to, reach the pinnacle of success, you know, it's, it's, it's self-rewarding for me. Well, I'm a big Tank fan, and um, I've seen this change with my own eyes. You know, I, we go to all his fights, 
And um, is, is, is after this one yeah, fight where he did. you saw how he was early on, how flashy he was, you mm-hmm. know, and how he kind of now is true professional, true professional. Yep, he's he, he, he's preparing and a lot of stuff that he was doing off the court, I, I think he got away from and locked in to being a pro. And, and this definitely showed in all his performances up uh, from, from that last performance, but three fights ago they had where he didn't prepare. So I'm a big-time take fan. You do, Is there any other boxers that you like to watch or in, any other fights that you want to see in 2022? Well, fights, man, I'll tell you what. They, um, the fights that's out there, you got Spencer out there. Ugas. I mean, we we got who else we got out there? We got we got Guya, we got Thurman, Thurman coming back, right? Yeah, I uh, yeah, but we gotta see, we gotta see, um, we gotta see Thurman, Thurman being up and down. Yeah, and Canelo, you know, I gotta, I got, I need, I need to see Canelo, I need to see Canelo fight somebody, man. He needs to fight a real nigga. You know, That's what I he needs need to, to do. See, I need to, yeah, yeah, I need to see him fight. You know. uh, uh who we got? Hey, I'm missing. I'm missing Charlos. one. I'm missing one. Not not Porter. Not Charlo. 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 Not 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 Charlo's. Not Charlo's. I'm missing one. Bud Crawford. Damn it. Crawford. Yes, there sir. There we go. Crawford. Yes, sir. That's him. That's who I was missing. Crawford. Yeah. But Canelo got to fight somebody. You know, he 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 been dancing around <laughs> ever since. The only person I believe he fought was was Mayweather, and that was too early for him to be fighting Mayweather. When he fought him. And and, and he's still so, arguing with Triple G and Triple like G beat him. And, t- and now he's still arguing with Triple G, trying to fight Triple G again. He needs to move Triple on G. to one of them uh Charlo boys or fight some fight Benavidez. I think Benavidez to beat him. And that's a possibility. I like to see it though. I like to see that one. But that Triple G, yeah, you, you hit it, you hit on a you hit a, a good note there about Triple G. You know. But he uh I don't know who's out there for Tank though. I'm trying to think who would be a good fight for Tank. That that weight class, he's gonna have to move I, up. I'm happy fighting Roly. I'm I'm happy he's he, he getting a chance to fight Roly. Yeah. Roly 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 yeah. has some trouble, but Roly talks a lot, and Roly think he he just the best thing in boxing since boxing started. But he's one of those guys that yeah. Tank needs to knock his face off. Tank he's gonna shut him up real quick. He, he, he <laughs> yeah, Tank gonna yeah. Roly that I don't even know why Roly put him, but he want that. Mm-hmm. He want that bag. You know what That's it what is. He, he want that bag. Yeah, he want that bag. <laughs> yeah, he definitely want that bag. But let's talk, since you're on our podcast, which we happy that you came on. Let's talk about your podcast. How did you get into the space? Oh shit, just messing around with Oak Tree and Twirl. <laughs> My boy Oak Tree, you know, and, and just talking the game, man, and. We, you know, especially when you get around Oak, Oak going to bring all sorts of toppers up into where it's going to go. It, it start off one way and it's going to veer off another, <laughs> you know. <laughs> just, that's just the way my man operate, and I love him for it, man. But, you know, just talking the game and I felt like, you know, we had something to offer um, based on where we came from and our journeys. And Earl, Earl got so many damn stories you know, with him playing with the Dr. J's of the world and Isaiah and so forth. I mean, he he he's a storyteller. But you know, Tree, O Tree got so much too to where I just need to just sit back and listen. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you know. All right, we're coming down to the home stretch. Quick yes, hitters. Man. First thing to come to mind. Let us know. You plus four. Any players that have ever played in the NBA. Who are you bringing with you? Oh, shit. Me plus four. Well, I'm going to just stay with my boys. 
that you know I'm gonna bring with me. I got Del Curry with me. I got Oak with me. I got LJ with me, and I got Zoe with me. That's a mob. That's a mob. Stuck on the island. Which three shows or movies you watching? Oh, Stuck on the Island. I'm watching Space Jam. <laughs> I'm watching Caribbean Enthusiasm. And I'm watching. Yeah. And I'm watching Eddie. Eddie, that's a good, that's a good basketball movie too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All, all, yeah, all the yeah. movies that I was in, all the scenes yeah. that you I was were in known life. as, obviously one of the toughest defenders. Your top three toughest matchups you felt like? Uh, Magic was one, Penny, and GP. I just, mm. I just watched uh, Hardwood Classic last night. It was uh, '93 Phoenix versus uh, Seattle in the playoffs. Charles Barkley's MVP year versus Sean Kemp and GP. That shit was a battle, boy. Game was so different back then, though. I oh. literally sat and watched the whole entire game and just saw, like you said, back to the basket, the tight curls, the the guiding the hand, how GP would try to, and they started double-teaming Kevin Johnson because he was too fast. That shit was dope. People KJ forgot about KJ. Well, KJ yeah. was special, boy. KJ yeah. was special. Five dinner guests, dead or alive? Five dinner guests. Oh, Michael Jackson's one. I got Martin Luther King is two. Mm-hmm. I got Mandela mm-hmm. is three. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, of course, I would love to have the opportunity to sit down with Marvin Gaye. Mm. Oh. You know? And for me, I did have an opportunity to, to sit down with her, but I would love to have her back at my dinner table with my Miss Ooh, Maya Angelou. Okay. Very nice. Nice, nice. Favorite artist from the 80s or 90s? Like, who did you used to listen to uh, preparing for games? Oh, man, you know, back then, that's when hip-hop mm-hmm. was just getting the beginning. You know what I mean? But, I, you know, I got to go with my man Tribe okay. Called Quest because I was in his mm-hmm. song, you know? Two tip I got to get tipped to some little love. What guests would you like to see on our show? But before you answer this question, you ask, you have to help us Get your answer on our show. <laughs> <laughs> what guests I like to see you guys have on the show? And let me see, what guests? Who will be somebody that's really? You hey, you, you, you said you, you guys had everybody on. You there. said a name said said who I'm, from who Texas I'm already. dying to get on the show because I'm a Texas boy. Oh, you talking about LJ? LJ, Grand, yes, Grandma Ma. That will hey, be on the show. That would be and a hell of a show. That would be a hell of a show. Yeah, man, we need out? LJ. Okay. Yes, okay. yes. All right, I'll work it. on it. I'll work it. on it. Well, man, that's a wrap. Mugsy, we for appreciate sure. your time and everything you've done for this game, the inspiration you've been, and continuing to take care of your community. We love, we appreciate you, man, and thank you for your time today. I appreciate you guys, man. I've been a big fan of both of you guys for quite some time. I just really appreciate the platform that you guys create now, but more so what you guys did for your careers, with your families and so forth, man. Keep spreading that love and keep doing that positive work appreciate out there. That. Well, that's a wrap. Muggsy Bogues. We you appreciate can catch the us on time, Showtime OG. Basketball right. YouTube and the iHeart platform, Black Effects. Right, we'll see y'all next week.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.